0: I'm James Bryan Smith. Welcome to the Things Above podcast. This is a podcast for what we call Mind Discipleship. It's a podcast for those who want to set their minds on things above. That's where the name of the podcast comes from, from Colossians 3, 1 and 2, where Paul encourages us to set our minds on things above. Setting our minds on good, beautiful, and true thoughts, on uplifting, encouraging, life-giving, biblically-based thoughts from above is not easy. And that is why we do this podcast provide for you in each episode, a thought from above that you can dwell upon so that your heart will be warmed and you will become an epiphany of grace. My guest today on the Things Above podcast is Jeff Crosby. Jeff Crosby is a friend. I've known him for a long time. We'll probably talk a little bit about that. But Jeff has had a stellar career in the world of publishing, and he's also one of the most profound emerging voices in Christian writing himself today, and I am so glad about that. He has worked in the publishing industry for decades. As At first of all, I just remember this. I love it. He was a Logos bookstore owner, which is just fantastic. I used to go to Logos bookstores, Christian bookstores back in the day. But he has done so much in publishing. He's the head of marketing as well as the publisher of InterVarsity Press. The publisher means he's the head honcho. He's the big, he's the top dog. And he was that at at IVP, who has incidentally been my publisher for the last several books of mine and counting. Currently, he's working as a writer himself, having published a new book called The Language of the Soul, Meeting God in the Longings of Our Hearts. It is an amazing book. I loved it. We're going to talk about it today. Today. It's also a book in which I have written the afterword, which was actually a joy for me to write. So, lots of connections. But Jeff, welcome to the Things Above podcast and this Things Above conversation.
1: Thanks so much, Jim. It's great to be with you. And thank you for that kind afterword you wrote.
0: Oh, wow. Well, it's just fantastic. So, brother, we go back a long way. I love those. I love friendships that are long ones, you know. They're hard to find, the good ones that last Decades, but we met—if I remember—in ninety-five, right?
1: Something like that. It's when your book, Embracing the Love of God, came out, and you and I and Rich Mullins and maybe four or five other people <laughs> hung out in a yes. Marriott in Anaheim, California, talking about that book.
0: Yes, yeah, that was at the Christian Booksellers Gathering, and they were having this this time to promote the book and, um. I was not a very well-known author, and the book was brand new, and so I leaned on my friend Rich Mullins. I said, hey, because he was there. I don't remember what he was promoting, probably an album, but um, he agreed to come. So it was Rich and I and a very small crowd, <laughs> <laughs> but Jeff Crosby was in that crowd, and that was the, um, the beginning of a, a beautiful friendship. We met there, but then it was back in, I'm going to say 2008, maybe 2007 or eight, when we had dinner, a very fortuitous dinner with you and Cindy Bunch and Kathy Helmers and I, and we talked about the, what became the Good and Beautiful series, the Apprentice series. And, um, you were at IVP and it was your job to wine and dine me, though it was Christian publishing and there was no wine, but we did dine (laughs) and, (laughs) and, uh, I love to tell the story that Over that dinner, you were the first publisher that that Kathy, my agent, and I had met with, and I was so I just was I loved you and Cindy and your vision for the books, and I said to Kathy afterwards, "Can we just not have any more meetings? Can we just? I mean, can we just go with IVP? I mean, this is these are the one." And she's like, "No, Jim, that's rude. We have to still meet with, (laughs) with, with I think it was five other publishers the next day, but we did." Uh, shake hands and sign contracts and uh, worked for many years on those books together. And so, man, it has been a great friendship as a, in, in ter- professionally, but also personally, as yep, I've gotten absolutely. to know you, Jeff, and just to hang out. It was, so
1: it was a joy to work on the the entire series with you and. I am thankful that you chose to place it where you did.
0: <laughs> I am too, for so many reasons. But, you know, you and and University Press, I mean, you guys really understood what the Apprentice series of books were all about, that it was, they were, they were and I, I learned terms like that they were standalone trade books that an individual could buy, but that they would most likely be used in churches and in groups, which has been, that was very prophetic. That is true. That's how it's, it's, it's borne out. And you guys got that. From the beginning. So I knew this guy knows books. This guy, yeah, is, yeah. And so, but the friendship I, I value even more. Just, just, uh, so for listeners, this is kind of weird, but I call Jeff Louie. And that comes from the movie Casablanca, where at the very end, Rick, that's Humphrey Bogart's character, uh, says to Louie, um, Louie, I think this is the beginning of a beautiful friendship. It's, it's one of the last lines, if not the last line in the entire film. So, uh, I knew that Jeff and I would have a beautiful friendship. So I just, I call him Louie and he knows that what that means. So <laughs>
1: and, and you're the only person in my world that gets by with calling me. Louis.
0: <laughs> there you go. There you go. Well, I can't think of a better way to spend a lovely afternoon than talking with you and, and about this wonderful book. So let's start with a question that I ask every author I have on the podcast. And that is, why did you write this book?
1: The the short answer is I I, I believe that I had to, um, uh, but uh, that's not terribly helpful to you. So I'll unpack a little bit of of why I felt that I I had to write uh, the book. I I encountered this word, and I know you know the word saudade, or some say saudade, um, a Portuguese word. I encountered it through music, uh, bossa nova and jazz music mostly coming out of brazil and this is in the pre-google days where i was just captivated by all of these songs uh, by artists that i followed that you know had this word in in the title of their songs or their albums and and so uh, i i am a person who is uh, taken with words i'm captivated by uh, linguistic curiosities and so i i followed this rabbit trail um, Trying to understand what um, what people call an untranslatable emotion, dodgy What what does that mean for we in the English speaking world? And and I began to build bridges to the idea of longing. And um, so I began to journal. I began to to read, to research, to reflect uh, on the the notion of longing. Ronald rollheiser in his book A Holy Longing, talks about uh, our spiritual spirituality being what we do with longing, both the pain and the hope of that, and um, just a lot of things sort of descended maybe 20 years ago uh, around that concept, the Saldanji, the longing, um, and I began to to write and to reflect, and in about 2008, I showed it to my friend Phyllis Tickle, the late. Uh, Phyllis Tickle, the editor of the Divine Hours, many of your listeners would know about that, and uh, she and I had a great conversation, and she encouraged me um, to to put all of these uh, thoughts and reflections into a book proposal, and and she she wanted to know how long it would take me. You need to get busy on that, and uh, well, it took me about fifteen years. <laughs> But I, uh, so I, I say that I felt like I had to write it. It was it was to be attentive to my own soul, the longings that I carry with me and to, to tend to both the pain and the hope or the pain and the joy of the longing for home, the longing for forgiveness, the longing for freedom from fear and anxiety, the longing for an undivided life. And um, over time, uh, you know, the the reflections in my journal uh, emerged onto a printed page and, and began to be assembled into the structure of a book proposal, which after, you know, 24 years in publishing and many before that as a bookseller, I, I knew what a book proposal looked like, but it was new for me to write one. <laughs> um, and so I assembled, assembled that and shared it with a few uh, publishers and fortunately, a few of them were interested in doing it, and that has now become the language of the soul so it was really uh, to tend to my own yearnings and um, and to uh, to explore the ways in which God has met me in the midst of that and uh, and there have been some pretty profound ways that that God has done that
0: mm, well it as I said, it is just a wonderful book and um when you'd ask me to uh, write an afterword for it, I don't remember if at that point you and I had talked about my familiarity with the word Saudade or uh, do you remember? I don't. I don't remember if. Yeah, no.
1: You you had taken a trip with Renovari down to Brazil, and you and I talked. You know when. I can't remember which of us said the word to the other, but uh, yeah, the light that... bulb came on when we exchanged the word, and it was like, oh, you know that too.
0: Right, so, exactly. yes, I
1: did know, and both our friendship as well as your familiarity with that, having traveled to Brazil. Yeah. And for me, it was mostly through research and, and writing and reflection and music, and then also uh, conversations with a Brazilian friend named Joaquim Fragoso. Mm-hmm. But uh, you had been there and had uh, had pondered it as well. So that was part of the reason I thought you would be a great voice to book in the book.
0: Yes. Well, I'm so glad you Yeah, because I've been to Brazil several times. And I think it was maybe the first time I was there, I remember Eduardo Pedrera. He's the, a Presbyterian pastor there that I worked very closely with. And in one of his talks, he talked about the word. And, um, and I asked him about it and we started discussing it and I found that pretty much every time I would talk to someone from Brazil about that word, they tear up. Like it's, it's oh, yeah. a, a word that, and I don't think there's any English equivalent. We I don't think there's we no. have a word that when you say it, it, it stops people and they're, and they're touched by it. But Eduardo first said, look, there's no way to translate this word. It, but it means a great deal to us. And it's a, it's about a um, this longing, this desire um, for something. And it's, I mean, it's quite, pre- it's really profound. In fact, I, I just today, I'm not kidding, Jeff, just today, I was playing tennis and the tennis pro that I work with, his name is Felipe uh, Bachestella, and he's from Brazil. And, I, and I've talked to him about Sadaji before but I said hey I've, I'm gonna have a, a guest on my podcast today we're going to talk about Saudade. and um I said this because you say in the book that for many Brazilians it's a word that they think about so often even even for some every day every day and so I said to Felipe uh is that true and he goes oh yes oh yes he said uh, for example even today I have thought about you know, he's he's here in America, right? He's, that's where he work, lives and works now. But he said, I've thought about my parents a couple of times today. And when I think about them, saudaji, that, that I think that word actually comes to my mind, how yeah. I miss them. I long for that for home. Um, it's, but that, so that became, when you encountered that particularly, first of all, through music, then you, then you began to say, what, what is this longing? What is this this deep thing. And then you connected that even as an American, it connected with you and your own, the longings of your soul. Is that right?
1: Absolutely. And, and I identified 10, um, there, there are more, I don't imagine that my list is necessarily universal, but as I've been out speaking about the book and and the the, the 10 longings, I divide them into internal or interior longings, external and then there's one eternal, which is the longing for heaven. Um, it's amazing to me uh, how common uh, the response uh, to the 10 longings that I'm unpacking. So yes, I made the connection between what I was learning about uh, you know, the Portuguese speaking idea of saudade and the longings that are resident in my soul and um, the pain and the hope of that and the ways in which uh, spiritually, I've been met, uh, you know, and in, intended to, and uh, befriended uh, those longings, and so that's what I'm trying to do through the pages of the book is to help to help readers understand their own, whether they're the same as mine or different, and um, and then you know how can they too befriend their saldaji's, befriend their longings, and, mm-hmm. and find God in the midst of them.
0: Yeah. I mean, you talk about in the introduction. You you say, uh, "quote It it is how we are wired as people, whether we're conscious of it or not. Uh, it, it is built in, right? It is built into the nature of the human person."
1: I think it is. You know, and there are other words and other languages that you know that that speak to that as well. Um, but yes, I I certainly believe that it is how we're hardwired as human persons and. Um, and, and you know whether we're conscious of it or not. So it's good for us to to tend uh, to those longings, and mm-hmm. to um, to you know to ask ourselves the question, you know how how are we uh, how are we being drawn closer uh, to God, or are there ways in which the longing, the pain of the longing, has taken us taking us in the in the opposite direction? But I mm-hmm. do believe. Firmly, that it's how we're wired as as human persons. Yeah. I don't know of any, there's no one I, I've talked to for whom uh, that doesn't seem to be true.
0: Yeah, right. And, you know, it, it is fascinating. You and I have talked how um, I had uh, the book, The Good, Beautiful You, come out last summer. So, not long before your book came out, but there's incredible overlap because I was dealing with the same thing that when I think about the nature of the human person, the good and beautiful you that we are, the the thread that runs through that book is that we have these same longings, and many of them are literally identical to your book, like the longing for forgiveness, the longing for spiritual connection, longing for community, and and even for eternal life. I mean, heaven. You know, your last chapter is also <laughs> my last chapter of the book. So incredible. And we'll talk a little bit about how we're going to do a project together, which is fun. But um, yeah, so those, and I'm glad that you used Saudaji because even the word longing uh, is a little tame for, I mean, it's the the English word, like I get it, but I can also sort of long for uh, the Denver Broncos to win a Super Bowl, you know, (laughs) or something, because you know, I'm a Bronco fan that comes up now and again.
1: It's the best equivalent we have, but it it does not, it, it falls short of the power of the Portuguese word for sure.
0: Yeah. And that, and what's so great about this is that these longings that you're describing for home, for an undivided self, for for peace, for um, freedom from anxiety and fear these these aren't just a longing that's oh I kind of want that to happen. It's really deep, and it's like an existential need within the soul. And so that's why I'm glad you've 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 used the word and and taken us into a, an understanding of it, which is fantastic. Um, well, okay. I mean, you do make the connection that, uh, I love how you make the connection to the Emmaus story, that where those those two, two guys are walking, or maybe it's a guy and a woman. I heard someone interpret the Emmaus story as it could have been a woman, but two people are walking to Emmaus with Jesus. And then they said later, were not our hearts burning within us? That, that, that incredible story where they were with Jesus, but you, you sort of say that was Saudaji like that, the, the burning heart that's inside of us uh, is an example of
1: that. Yeah, and that, that came out of a conversation with my Portuguese uh, speaking friend, Joaquin. Um, and uh, I remember him, him saying, you know, maybe that's why the two men strongly urged, or two people uh, strongly urged Jesus to linger with them, saying, stay with us. And when their eyes were opened, and in an instant, they saw Jesus. Their saudaji was killed, as they say, uh, in his country. So uh, that the whole connection to the Emmaus um, story in Scripture really came through through Joachim, and it reminded me of how uh, you know we can read, you know, culturally, uh, we can read with a, a cultural lens. And and miss things. I had never seen that. I'd never thought about about that. But Joaquin, coming from a different culture, and with with this word, this powerful word, um, to him it it seemed really apparent. And so that was a lovely conversation. And like you with your friend Eduardo, uh, whenever he and I, whenever Joaquin and I talk about Saudaji, tears fill his eyes. It's it's that. It's that powerful um, uh, a word and an emotion and, and a reality for people like you. Mm.
0: I wish we could come up with an English word because I, I, you know, Brazilians, at least in my experience, are known for they're, they're, they really feel. They, they, and I mean, we're, we're a much more cold <laughs> culture and, you know, don't express our feelings nearly as well. But, but those longings are there. And what I love about the book, there's so many things that I love. It's so, so well written. You're such a good writer, Jeff. I mean, my goodness. But um, uh, yeah, just that you're, you're naming these things. And as I read the book, I was going, yes, yes, yes. Um, Well, let's start with the the, the chapter on home, the longing for home, which is the first, first one. And, uh, you know, so I connect with you also because you're from rural central Indiana and my dad's family is all from well southern Indiana, um, but just you know you were you were describing things and i I remember in my childhood going back and spending time there and, and I thought, I know what he's talking about, but talk about that chapter, the Longing for home, and then also, if you don't mind talking about it, I mean, you talk about the death of your father, which was really touching, and how that connected you to that longing,
1: yeah. Yeah, like you said, I grew up in a a small town of London, Indiana. You know, population probably two hundred and two hundred and fifty in a good year. Uh, had a little uh, market, a, a general store with two two gas pumps out front.
0: And yet, you don't have a British accent somehow, being from London,
1: <laughs> right? London, Indiana. Uh, there was a, a a train ran through the town at, at one time. There had been other commerce. Uh, but by the time I moved there at the age of ten, all that was left was the a little Methodist church um, and the general store run by a, a woman named Ethel and uh, and um, so you know that is I lived there until I graduated from from high school and moved away. Um, but in in the chapter I I talk about this this longing I, I've lived in nineteen places. Uh, most of them as a child. Um, my my father was uh, I, I call him a very restless soul, and he was constantly on the move um, for reasons that I only partially understand. And so, so uh, I think I went to four different schools in fourth grade. So it was a very wow. nomadic existence. It wasn't military. It was there were other reasons why we moved so much. Um, as an adult, I've been. Uh, rooted in the same community now for nearly a quarter of a century, but, um, but this longing for home, you know, is still uh, it still resides within my own soul, and I, I think it more than a, a geographic place per se. It's um, you know it's a longing for uh, for belonging, uh, for being understood, um, for being in the company of people. And in a place, a community, uh, a church where, um, yeah, I just, you know, have a sense of, of being known and appreciated and welcomed and included. Um, and I think that my father, you asked about him, I think that's something that um, uh, he longed for as well. And I, I, I'm I, not sure he ever found it. He, he was a very restless person. Um, and um, not entirely dependable, at least in my telling of the story. And, uh, and yet I, I, I look back and he gave me uh, three of my, the greatest gifts of my life. My father gave me a guitar when I was a sickly kid in fifth grade and was unable to go to school. He gave me a guitar and a songbook and I, I laid in bed. And taught myself to play the popular songs of the day, you know, Cat Stevens' Peace Train or mm. um, other other kind of folk or acoustic songs like that. He gave me a love of baseball and he gave me a love of, of music in general, recorded music. And so as we both grew older and as, as he grew uh, ill, um, I just attempted to honor him uh, by, you know, uh, continually calling him and letting him talk about whatever was on his mind, visiting him when I could um, and reminding him of those gifts that he gave me. And he died in 2017 after a, a, a brain a stroke in his brainstem, we were told, and never recovered consciousness and I was standing beside him with one of my brothers uh, the moment that he passed away. and at that moment, uh, in the hospital, when, when his life uh, ended, a Brahms lullaby played at the, through the hospital sound system. It gives me goosebumps just to talk about it, John. But a Brahms lullaby, which signified um, the birth of a child in the maternity ward next door. And uh, it just seemed very poetic. Um, you know, a, a life ended, a life begun. And my hope in that moment, and what I journaled as I left the hospital later in the day was, I hope my dad is home. You know, I hope that he has has finally uh, found uh, a home, a welcoming, an embrace uh, that uh, you know that uh, perhaps he uh, had been unable to find in his in his lifetime.
0: Hmm. Yeah, and and you know, one of the things that's really cool about your book and it it's shows about your love for music is that at the end of each chapter, you have a playlist of songs. And, uh, and, and I had, I want you to know, I went on Spotify and I created my own Jeff Crosby, the language of the soul uh, playlist. And I've been listening to the songs that are meaningful to you. And it's been, been great. And, and one of the, for that chapter, you have Rich Mullen's song home, which uh, I didn't see it coming, you know? And I went, Oh, yeah. So I re-listened to that song. And it's not one that is on the top of my little list of Rich Mullen songs, but it's such a great song. Yeah. um, Well, there
1: is actually an official language of this whole playlist that I created, Jim, as well. So if you haven't finished yours, uh, it is out there on Spotify under the language of the soul, a musical mix. And uh, you've done the work uh, for me. each yeah, each chapter has I think six songs. Six, yeah, so there are a total of uh, sixty-six, I believe. And um, so, "Home" by Rich Mullins from the Winds of Heaven, Stuff of Earth album. And, uh, also, a Jack John- Jack Johnson, a, a contemporary artist yeah. I really love, uh, a song called "Home" from his album. From here yeah. to, to you,
0: your your music's very eclectic too. Yeah, yeah. I mean, you're you you. It shows the eclecticism of your choices because it's not. <laughs> It's not just down the line with one genre. So
1: <laughs> it is not. It is it is a very eclectic mix, just yeah. like I as a person.
0: Yes, and I love that about you and, and uh, your passion for music. And you've introduced me to some people I didn't, some songs and artists I didn't know. So let's talk about the second chapter. We we don't have time to go through the entire book, unfortunately. But um, boy, I want to talk about this one because the the longing for an undivided self that chapter, and I say this in the afterward, I, I thought, should I say this? But I do say in the afterward, it's my favorite chapter. Uh, and I don't know what it says about me, but, <laughs> uh, probably that I also long for an undivided self, which is, uh, which is a challenge, you know, and I'm an Enneagram three. I'm not, I don't talk a ton about the Enneagram, but that, that is a, a type that, that definitely has a stage life and then has a Behind the scenes life, and I'm an introvert, so I, I think I connected to that idea that um, that in some ways there is a kind of disintegration of the person that we want the world to see and then the person that we are more in private. But I mean you you're on page twenty two you give some signals of disintegration and I just want to read some of that list because I think it'll connect with a lot of the listeners that you talk about things like unending busyness uh, or lethargy, exhaustion. Situational depression, a hurried and harried life, um, a sense of not measuring up to some mysterious standard, uh, a fear of being considered a fraud, defensiveness, the absence of patience, a fear of disappointing God, and I read that list and just sort of it moved me, and I thought, yep, that hit the Saudaji in me because I do long for that undivided self and. You talk, I here's, here's what I'd love to hear from you about, because you write about it in the book, but I'd love to hear more. One is about how spiritual direction helped you with that. And then that retreat where you did the, uh, the exercise with the Mobius strip. So, um, talk yeah. in general about the chapter, but, but, uh, I, I want to hear a little more about direction and, and that Mobius strip illustration because I thought that was profound. Yeah.
1: And that came from, um, Parker Palmer, uh, a person that I was on that retreat with. And I I remembered reading his book, A Hidden Wholeness, years ago. And and it it was in, in the pages of that book that he said something like, we arrive in this world undivided, integral, whole, but sooner or later, we erect a wall between our inner and outer lives trying to protect what is within us or deceive people around us. And then he he goes on to talk about how it's only when the pain of our dividedness becomes more than we can bear that most of us embark on an inner journey towards living divided no more. Um, yeah, this one was Jim. This was a very hard chapter to write, if I'm honest. I, I was glad to know that you that you responded well to it um, because it was a it was a a tough one to work through. This one and forgiveness were the the two that. Uh, I really struggled with, and at points was wondering, um, do I just set aside? But I I think that the reason for that was, you know, uh, a lot of the fears and 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 worries that uh, that were on the list that you just read. Um, the the Mobius strip idea, I be- I believe it comes from a French scientist or mathematician. And you know, and Parker took us on this retreat. He took us through a, an exercise where we took a an elongated sheet of, of paper, and and we we wrote on it about our inner uh, our inner lives, or our our, our backstage lives, and, and our, um, our our outer lives or our onstage. So, in my case at the time, I was thinking about my my leadership of a publishing company. I, I was thinking about roles that I've had in, in churches that are fairly public or speaking or, uh, things of that nature that were the the outer or the onstage life. And then uh, lots of things that you and your listeners would, would know in terms of the inner, you know, thought patterns and, and behaviors and, um, things of that nature. And, and the you know, so we put all this down on the paper and then we were asked to uh, to to curl it in such a way and 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 you know and tape it and we realized this cylinder, there's a seamlessness between the inner and the outer life. There there's no beginning and there's no end. And what he taught us that day was that you know that which is is in our, our backstage our, our offstage, stage um, flows uh, you know to the onstage stage. Um, and vice versa, and and it's a there's a a hidden wholeness in all of that, uh, he would say, and and so it's important that we that we tend to it, that we make sure that uh, that it is healthy, and as you said, spiritual direction has been a part of that. I've had two spiritual directors uh, over the past ten years, and I think what it is about that that has enabled me to cultivate. More of an undivided life is is a sense of safety um you know to to be to talk to someone and to have them reflect back what they what they hear me saying um to reflect back questions out of what they hear in a non judgmental way um those conversations um in a very safe place which sadly uh doesn't exist uh for for a lot of people, I suppose, and and not a lot of time for for us, uh, you and I, perhaps. Um, it it really was foundational to to grappling with uh, the divisions, and, and to even come up with that list of of what it looks like to be you know to be in a divided state. Um, that was pretty vulnerable to put that list down. And every those weren't manufactured, those were all very real um, examples of, of what it looks like uh, when I am not t- tending to the divisions in my soul. So, you know, there are other things that have helped, like journaling, um, praying the Psalms, and, and other things, walks in nature, where I... Um, You know, I'm able to reflect much more deeply just being away from technology, away from uh, the demands of meetings and so forth. But spiritual direction was a key part of that. And it was it wasn't necessarily something I wanted to do. But after doing it, it's something I almost can't imagine being without.
0: Mm, It is incredibly profound um, to have that, as you said, that safe space um, where you can hear feedback and someone makes a connection. Uh, but yeah, I just, I love the chapter so much because I think that is a deep longing that I've had. And um, not that I feel like oh, I'm a fraud all the time or that I'm, you know, th- that there's this sure. this constant disintegration, but I do recognize that, um, that deep longing to sort of say, this is who I am always. You know, you mentioned your father earlier, but one of the things I loved about my dad was that he was the same cat, everywhere he went. I mean, he did not exactly. have, he did not have <laughs> a stage self and a private self. Uh, and I, I saw that and I really marveled kind of at that, his, his ability just to say, this is who I am. And and he, he didn't, he didn't, uh, morph and change, which is the great, the uh, <laughs> the great mysterious gift of an Enneagram three is that we can like a chameleon morph and change into wherever we need to be. And, um, but I, I admired that about him, and I think yeah. that's part of that longing is to say, no, this is this is who I am. But what what your chapter did so well was, and with that Mobius that idea that really it is more seamless than we think. We are, we are not as disintegrated as we might think we are. Yeah. Uh, so yeah, you know, many reasons, but that that what they're all great chapters, but that one really was a favorite chapter for me. So here's a question for an author, and I got asked this for the very first time uh, when I was on a podcast about uh, the good and beautiful you, but do you have a favorite chapter?
1: Yeah, it's, it's kind of, I have six grandchildren. That's almost like asking me to exactly. have a favorite grandchild. No, <laughs> yeah. I don't. But, um, I think that the, uh, the chapter on home, uh, which is the first chapter, as you mentioned, um, is, you know, it's the one that I uh, have returned to. You probably experienced this, Jim, after you write a book, you kind of don't want to read it. Um, at least for a while, right? Um, but that chapter has drawn me back. Um, my mother still lives near that town, not in it, but near it. My all of my siblings do, and so I make my way back to that area fairly regularly. And um, and uh, that that there's something about the longing for home chapter that um, has drawn me back into it. And I think uh, perhaps the other is uh, the longing for heaven, which was another. A challenging one to write because I I, um, I had to sort out you know kind of what have I believed uh, historically about heaven. Um, scripture doesn't talk a lot about it except right. in the, you know the the heavens and the earth kind of you know the um, that sort of language, but not not in any detail. And there are fanciful books about people dying and going to heaven that I find a bit dubious, but um that chapter was uh both a challenge to write but also one that at the end of the day i was i was grateful uh for having done it so probably the first and the last
0: mm, interesting interesting
1: home in heaven and they kind of form a they kind of form bookends of the entire the they entire do
0: project. they do for sure yeah I think that when I look back and think if I have to as you said, you can't pick a favorite chapter they're all. Unique and and profound to the writer if you've really lived into it. But I think that those chapters that really pulled something out of us. Uh, I mean, for me, it was Chapter Nine of Good, and Beautiful You. That that chapter just was, you know, it 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 ripped me up in a good way. And when I when it was done, I could step back and go, okay, that's something there. That's that I can be really proud of that. That's a you know, so I, yeah, I, I resonate with that. And, you know, the, your whole book, just like, as I said, you're such a good writer and it's interesting. And here's this guy who was, you were as a publisher, most of your whole career, not as a writer, but my goodness, I wish you'd written some more books, Jeff, because uh, it, it's just, okay, here's the last question. W- what do you hope people will get from the book?
1: Uh, you know, I, I hope that readers will, um, do two things: one, recognize uh, the longings of their own soul, and um, and befriend them rather than um, you know rather than turn from them or run from them or deny them. Uh, but that that they'll uh, understand what they are and befriend them and um, invite you know God to meet them in some way. You know every chapter here. Shares examples of the ways in which uh, God has met me, and in, in the midst of the longing, uh, not not to say satisfied, you know, everything, you know, so that the longing goes away. That's not what I'm saying, but that God has met me and meets us there. So, I, I if if that happens for even one, uh, I I will, it will have been worth the effort, and it certainly. Uh, has been true for me as I I wrote
0: it. Well, it happened to me, brother. So you're you're done. You've you've accomplished everything you wanted with this book because it happened All right. to James Bryan Smith. There you go. Count it. Check mark. Yeah. Now, befriend. That's a great word. That is absolutely. So I mentioned earlier, uh, you and I are gonna we're gonna collaborate on a workshop together at the Apprentice Gathering. We're doing a workshop together on Longings yes. of the Soul. How fun is that?
1: Looking forward to it, Jim.
0: Yeah, it's going to be great to collaborate because I thought as I said, your book and The Language of the Soul and The Good Beautiful You have this incredible overlap but are but have different um aims. I mean, we cover some different things and approach it from a different angle. I just thought this will be fun to work together. So
1: Absolutely. It's going to be
0: fun to tag team and workshop together, but I just uh I look forward to seeing you, brother, cuz I I always enjoy our time together. So, Jeff, thank you for being on the podcast today.
1: Good to be with you. Thanks for having me. And I wish you well as you continue to to do the work at the Apprentice Institute.
0: Oh, thank you, brother. I hope you join me next time. Until then, you can find me on Twitter and Facebook at James Brian Smith. And you can learn more about this podcast. And if you'd like to donate to the Things About podcast, you can do so on our website, ApprenticeInstitute.org. Click the Donate Now button at the top of the page. It's really easy, and it would mean a lot to me. If you enjoyed this episode, please share with a friend and you can also subscribe, which means you're going to get them automatically each week. My hope as always is that one day if you're asked what's on your mind, your answer will be things above.